Hey guys, this is Bob Parker, and you're listening to another episode of Tell Me Why I Should Care. Today, we're going to talk to Caleb Hawk and Clay McKinnis about what is cryptocurrency and why should I care. Also, today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at Mosquito Authority. During this time of social distancing and self-isolation, there is no reason to be stuck inside on these beautiful spring days. Mosquito Authority has the service your family needs to be able to enjoy your backyard in comfort, grill out, play with the kids, or just sit outside in the evening with a glass of wine or a cold beer. Call our good friends Brooks Seal at 334-694-1199 or simply Google them at Mosquito Authority, Montgomery, Alabama. Call them today for your no mosquitoes guaranteed treatment. Please tell them you heard about it here and tell me why I should care. Okay, guys, so I got a definition for a cryptocurrency, and from Wikipedia it says, Cryptocurrency is a digital asset designed to work as a medium of exchange that uses strong cryptography to secure financial transactions, control the creation of additional units, and verify transfer of assets. Now, that all sounds very complicated, and I'd love for you guys to explain not only what it is, but why I should care about it. All right. So um, cryptocurrency, uh, the main one being Bitcoin, which was the first one uh, invented, was invented by a guy who goes by Satoshi Nakamoto. We'll go into that a little bit more later, but there's a big mystery surrounding him. And uh, But Bitcoin was invented back in 2009-2010 era, um, right after the 2008 um, housing crisis and that recession, uh, because the banks controlled the money, and that trust was no longer there or very uh, very small from what it was so this is trustless money you're in control of your own assets you're in control of your own money there's no central bank controlling your money a lot of people were very scared of that at first but now it started to grow more and more on people because as long as there are computers mining bitcoin and keeping the network afloat it will never go to zero it is never it's not hackable unless you you yourself can get your private wallet hacked if you do something stupid, but it's important to know how to do things, and if you're going to get involved with Bitcoin, read up on it um, a lot. Clay, you want to chime in? Yeah, it's pretty much right, Caleb, and trust is a big thing here because when you look at monetary policy, you know we went away from the gold standard at some point, I think in the 70s. And to, there was a layer of trust there that our paper currency, that our U.S. dollars was backed by a commodity like gold. And then when you left that, when, when the paper money had so much trust and we had so much trust in the government, and that's what you're seeing now with Treasury yields and interest rates, even during this crisis right now, the world trusts U.S. so much that the dollar is actually getting stronger when it should be getting weaker, especially as we do all this bailout stuff. And so when you look at cryptocurrency, the trust is in the network and the network effect. And so the transparency of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, the way that Satoshi designed it, 
was there's transparency in every transaction. There's transparency, there's a seed code when it's mined, there's a seed code when it's bought and sold. And so you can see those transactions on the blockchain uh, that's open for everyone. They don't know who bought them, but there's an identifier or a number associated with each one of those transactions. Okay, so you, you keep saying created and mined. I, I'd love to know how it's created because it sounds it sounds almost like this movie Thomas the Train, <laughs> which is the dumbest movie that's ever been made. It's got Peter Fonda in it, and literally when the train goes on the track, these little gold shavings mm-hmm. fly off the track. So I have in my mind when someone is doing whatever y'all do to create this or whatever they do, that things are just being made out of nothing. So what what is it and how do I make it? Okay, you want me to chime in first, Clay, and then you jump in? Yes. Okay, so when the Bitcoin network started, you had you could mine Bitcoin on your laptop. I, I know a few people where right when this network kicked on, they turned on their laptop and they mined, quote-unquote, Bitcoin. And when you mine Bitcoin, all you're doing is you're becoming a node for the Bitcoin network saying, hey, my computer's online, it's willing to help. Um, resolve these transactions where people when I want to send Clay if I want to send Clay some Bitcoin I will send him Mm -hmm. the amount of Bitcoin and I'll punch in his address and send it to him just like a PayPal or Venmo or something like that when I do that it has to go through a series of miners that um, verify that transaction so when what the miners are doing is they're actually um, giving their resources to the network and saying hey this transaction is legit and in what they'll do when they do that they'll get tiny pieces of that transaction as a fee but what their hope is is their hope is every so often I may mine or unlock a Bitcoin um, and every so often um, to make the Bitcoin price go up um, there will be something called a halvening which means that um, the amount of Bitcoin that is rewarded for a certain block will be halved so you have you have a bunch of people that are mining Bitcoin right now, and they all get this. Um, if they're lucky enough to mine that block that contains the amount of Bitcoin, they will get those set Bitcoin, and they can sell them on the market, hold on to them, or whatever. But every halving, that number half it goes and cuts mm-hmm. in half, and so. So, it's a supply and demand issue at that point. Or it's not an issue, but it's created to play off supply and demand because Satoshi, when he released Bitcoin, there will only be 21 million Bitcoins harvested, period. So there's a set number of Bitcoins. Have they reached the number yet? No. No. So you keep saying created. How do you create something digitally that becomes money? When you say they they transactions and... I'm still confused on exactly how you create something basically out of what I would think is nothing, but you're telling me it's something. I just don't know what that something is that you do to make it. Money is trust. Let's talk about that for a second. So what yep. what is a dollar bill in your wallet? Is that $1 or is it something presented to you by the U.S. government saying this piece of paper is worth $1? Sure. It's actually not money. It's currency because it has, no, it has no hard asset backing it. So right. what we're talking about here is cryptocurrency. Currency is trust. You're you're giving 
if I give you one dollar bill and say here's a dollar, you trust that because it is you've seen it your entire life. It's a it's a trust document from the U.S. Uh, Fed saying this piece of paper is worth a dollar. If I give you a Bitcoin, you're putting your trust now into a network that has been around since 2009 of miners and transactions saying, I trust in this network. It's a decentralized um, piece of currency and that's that's why it's worth something. Um, back, I, I brought this up a few minutes ago. I, I know friends who got on Bitcoin right when it first started and the blocks at the time I think were like around, you could if you mined a block, you would get 70-something Bitcoin. And they were mining on laptops back at the time. And they would get hundreds and hundreds of Bitcoins. They, they didn't hold on to them, unfortunately. They would sell them on the market as the price went up. But now one Bitcoin is worth over $7,000. Um, just, so just imagine if they would have held on to all those Bitcoin and they were just mining on their laptop. Yeah, that would have been a good thing to hold on to. Now, I know it's gone way up. And it's gone way back down, assuming it's like a commodity like gold or silver, which have ups and downs based on the demand or the perceived demand. In some cases, you know, there's a everybody freaks out and starts buying a hard asset like silver or gold. So it's similar to that in the sense that that I have that there's something back in it. But what is it? that I can buy with it? What can I buy with a Bitcoin? What can I do with it besides sit here and look at it or think I have it and go, hey, this looks great, I have a Bitcoin. What is, what is the, what can I buy with it? So yeah, that's a really good question. That's, that's kind of, um, you know, the argument for a lot of people to say, well, what can you do with it? And it's kind of become uh, more of a store of value, mm -hmm. a commodity, than it is a currency. I think when Satoshi originally launched it, and by the way, Satoshi, is a person or a team no one has been able to identify that person and i think part of the trust factor and part of the strength of the cryptocurrency is for that reason i think he or she knew that if there was a person on the other end of it whoever that was it, society would swallow that person up uh for good or for bad mm -hmm. and it wouldn't go for anywhere. bad it, yeah for, for bad mostly but um going back to your question bob you know, it's become this, this commodity of hold. And what's interesting, when you saw the stock market crash a few weeks ago, it traced the market similarly to the stock market, which indicated its maturity as a commodity. Because one of the reasons why Bitcoin went down is because people all around the world needed liquidity. They needed money to buy groceries and they needed money to buy food or, you know, this or that and the other. And so it, it's a liquid form of a commodity where you just hit a button and you get money back into your account but it's really not exchanging the way that people thought it's become more of that commodities market um, like digital gold and people call it digital gold and so it's gone from fractions of a cent when it was first you know for years when it was first developed up to 19 to twenty thousand dollars when it peaked and then it crashed and now it's about $7,000. And uh, a halving, like Caleb described earlier, is about to take place in a couple of weeks. And that should increase the price um, a little bit uh, because it, it adjusts the supply and demand um, issue. It, it restricts supply by making it harder to mine each um, each coin. Right. And All right, so, so question real quick is, 
So it's less it's less of a stock market type thing than it is a commodity. Commodity, at hundred percent. Right. It is not a stock. It's not. It, it's a commodity. There are some retailers that will take cryptocurrency, and the way that they do that is they could either hold it when they are when they accept it, which most don't. Most uh, trade it straight for cash right away, just because it's more of a guarantee because it is such a liquid um, up and down uh, market. But um, to going back to May twenty second, two thousand ten, was the first transaction that involved Bitcoin. This is what set it. This is basically what set the price of Bitcoin, and that was in on May twenty second, two thousand ten. Uh, someone bought two Papa John's pizzas for ten thousand Bitcoin. Ten thousand Bitcoin is what he used to pay for pizza. And at let, let me just. Punch that into a calculator right now. Seven million dollars. Yes, he paid seven million dollars in today's mu- in yes. today's value for two pizzas. Take that back. Yep. That's seventy three million dollars. Okay, and that's not two Papa John pizza franchises. That's two Papa John pizzas that he ate, digested, right? And because at the time, in the sewer. Because at the time, nothing. I mean, Bitcoin was worth nothing. It was just a an idea, and so this was this is what kicked it off. And this is kind of what set the price of Bitcoin at the time, and that's what the trading price started. Um, and so, ten thousand Bitcoin at that time was worth thirty dollars. That's how much it. So that's what set the price on the markets, and the it's going up from there. So can you imagine that guy now? It's like, but but he he is a hero in the cryptocurrency world because he's what started the price movement of Bitcoin by buying two. Okay. Pieces. Okay, let's say I want to buy some Bitcoin. Right. How, how do I buy it, and who am I buying it from? And then once I buy it, if I want to sell it, who's buying it mm-hmm. from me? Uh, go ahead, Clay. So that's a great question. And so as the maturity of this cryptocurrency has evolved over time, there is a marketplace or an exchange um, that you would have for any commodity um, like Coinbase. Coinbase is one of the most popular ones where you go on, you link your bank account up to it, you can buy and sell cryptocurrency there, and each each cryptocurrency or each Bitcoin has a seed code identifier uh, with it. And so if you lose that seed uh, code, like a British man did, I think he lost $70 million worth of Bitcoin on a hard drive, uh, it's gone forever. And so there's an estimated 2 to $3 million bitcoins that are lost that are taken out of circulation so and that's probably closer to five million once it's all said and done with once the 21 million is mined so really and truly probably at the end of the day when all of the bitcoin mining is over with and it just is a commodity that no more uh mining there'll probably be 16 or 17 true million in true circulation being able to buy and sell right and the Bitcoin Fed can't print more Bitcoin. And that's, that's, why this, right. that's why this is important right. right now to think about. I wouldn't say dive straight into cryptocurrency, but really give it a solid look on um, what, what fiat or U.S. dollar or basically the whole world's economy is doing now. And that's printing more money, um, which is going to drive the price of everything up because everything's going to stay the same worth. But that worth is a lot less meaning the trust in that currency is a lot less yeah that's right and and, that's right. and and one more thing you know the u.s government even um during this bailout talks had talked about 
what it looks like to have a, a U.S. issue right. cryptocurrency t- to get money in the hands of people faster. The, the issue with this crisis is people can't get money fast enough. And so when you direct deposit, well, guess what? In order to direct deposit money from the government to the person, you have to have your bank account on, on file. You have to pay taxes. They have to know you, who you are, where you're from. And so the speed in which the, this distribution of money is happening is a lot slower than people want it to be, but it's the government, it's bureaucracy. And so what Bitcoin does and cryptocurrency in general is it creates a platform that is an even playing field and is instantaneous money wherever it needs to be distributed or traded. Okay, so let's say that I, I wanted to go mine some Bitcoin. Is that something that's still possible to do? It is, but it's not worth it. And the reason it's not worth it is you're gonna have to spend a lot of money up front to build a machine that's capable of doing it because there's so many Bitcoin mining farms out there that are mining Bitcoin. You can mine altcoins, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, it's really, you're really wasting money on the resources it takes to actually mine the Bitcoin when you could be taking that money and just investing it in by buying Bitcoin. Does that make sense? Okay, so yeah, so instead of me going and buying some land and spending money on equipment and infrastructure to to dig a gold mine, maybe I should just go buy some gold Bingo. or silver instead of spending right. all the resources on it. Now, okay, I get a lot of that. makes sense. You know, I'm still a layman. I'm still trying to figure out what to do. Um, but there are other cryptocurrencies besides Bitcoin. So, obviously, there's multiple metals. There's multiple commodities that right. I can invest in. Give me an idea of uh, uh, another couple that I could look at that aren't so expensive. Because look, seven thousand dollars. Can you? All right, can you buy it fractionally? Or yes. Do you have to buy yes. a whole bit. Okay. So it's broken up into a nine decimal point uh, fraction, and those decimal points are called satoshis because of Satoshi Nakamoto. So you can buy zero point zero 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 one Bitcoin, all the way down to the ninth decimal place. But um. Yeah, you could buy ten dollars worth of Bitcoin if you wanted to, and just hold on to it. And, but um, talking about other cryptocurrencies, the main one that people are excited about, I think, right now is Ethereum, um, just because of what it did during the 2017 cryptocurrency bubble with ICOs, which are initial coin offerings. So initial coin offerings at the time when people um, basically could launch their own cryptocurrency or token on top of ethereum and in order to sell it's basically an ipo but with cryptocurrency so they would launch their company on ethereum and people could buy into that company's idea uh with ethereum so it drove the price of ethereum all the way up to fourteen hundred dollars per ethereum right now ethereum's worth about 169 dollars give or take um but but yeah that's the most exciting one because people can it's a smart contract um, platform, which means, um, Clay, help me out here. Yeah, so <laughs> basically, yeah, and you're exactly, so think of a, an old ledger. Think about a bank a long, long time ago, turn of the century. They'd have these big ledger books and their debits and credits, right? A guy walks into the bank, you, debit or credit, you're either cashing a check or you're depositing a check, right? Think of, of that ledger book being uh, digital and open to the public. So anybody can see those transactions happening based on uh, codes, not names, not customer accounts, but but numbers, like very long 
numbers. And that number, uh, those numbers are associated with debits, credits, and where those coins are. So uh, big Bitcoin holders are called whales, where you can say, hey, this one whale dumped a bunch of Bitcoin on the market for some reason. You can't, you don't know who they are, but you can see which wallet it came from and what those codes were. And so that, it goes back to that trust matrix, Bob. Uh, Rachel Botsman, one of my favorite authors, she studies trust, especially in this time. She defines trust to the confident relationship to the unknown. And, you know, we don't really know what the world is going to look like after this crisis, after this event. And so Bitcoin, ever since 2009, ever since that first pizza transaction, has grown. The community has grown. And the people that hold Bitcoin trust it so much that they're holding it and other people are holding it. Thus, the value keeps going up. And with more supply going down, uh, the value, in my eyes, can't go anywhere but up. Uh, it could go to zero, but I, I think it's just going to keep going up and up and up for future generations. Okay, I got, I got two more questions, and then I want you all to give me a couple of resources that I can do, some, you know, us and our listeners, I can do some more studying on. And I want my listeners to know... What are, the, what are the things they can look at to figure out, hey, is this a good investment for me? So the first question is, what is blockchain? Okay, uh, blockchain is it's what a lot of people are excited about that aren't even excited about Bitcoin. Um, and Clay's already kind of talked about it without using the word blockchain, but is a digital ledger that you can see the transactions in and out that everyone can see. And um, one thing... When I think about blockchain, I think about um, how uh, projects like Ethereum can really change the world for the better. You think about our voting system and how you put your trust. And when you when you place your vote and you let it scan into the little machine and the number goes up, you're trusting that machine, you're trusting that voting precinct to get your vote to the right person so that person that you voted for gets your vote, right? And you don't see the results mm -hmm. tally in until... 100% precincts are reporting. If we move voting to the blockchain, and I know it's it'll it'll happen, trust me, but it'll be years and years from now. Maybe not too far away, we'll see, but think about it this way. If every single person in America, we're just going to take the presidential campaign or the presidential voting, for instance. If every single person in America gets a wallet ID, but they don't know it's a wallet, they just it has their name on it and it's tied to their social security number if they're alive and they go and they place their vote for a presidential campaign, what they're doing, if it would be a blockchain, would be they have a vote token. They would transfer that vote token to the uh, person that's running for president, and at the end of the night, all it was, it'd be instantaneous. You wouldn't have to wait for all the precincts to report. At, say at 7 p.m., here's the results, because that those wallets containing all the vote tokens would be... Um, it would display the results right away. Um, Clay, you want to chime in with that? I think it's a really good idea for voting. Yeah. And, and so the blockchain is basically the software, uh, or I say the software, the network that runs all of this, Bob, right? And so it's it's a binary thing where the debits and credits are happening at a, at a very safe and fast way um, that can be seen. So there's a, there's a transparency there. And so the blockchain in itself, whether it's medical records, voting, like Caleb said, or currency, 
there's a trust factor there that the blockchain is trusted now. It works. It works extremely well. And that because of that, you're seeing these cryptocurrencies grow. Um, and, and I do want to say one story, one quick story that can kind of put all of this in perspective. One of my best friends that I went to high school with, he's Danish. His name's Yannick. He lives in Denmark, and he actually came over this August. Um, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. But there are these pairs of shoes, this pair of shoes that I wanted to get in Denmark that they only have in Denmark. And so uh, he bought them for me before he came over to America uh, to see me this past August. And he said, okay, it's going to be, you know, 65, 70 bucks or whatever it is. And he said, how are you going to give me the money? And I said, well, I'm going to send you Bitcoin. And he said, what's Bitcoin? Well, I, option one, send him a Western Union. Option two, you know, mail him some money that he has to exchange in a krona, Danish krona, and then he loses money on exchange rate. Or I sent him the money through Coinbase. He received it in his wallet, and he directly deposited it into Danish krona at the bank with zero um, fees, basically very, very minimal fees, where traditionally it would have been so complicated to give him $70 was extremely seamless and easy with Bitcoin from U.S. money to Bitcoin to Bitcoin to Krona. So, so his bank accepts Bitcoin. Well, his he, he, he got, got a Coinbase yeah. account. Yeah. So he would he got a Coinbase account, which is the exchange where cryptocurrency happens. One of many. Okay, and they were able to they were able to transfer that into the Krona. Yep. Correct. Okay. Well, I think you guys have given us a lot to think about, but I do have one more question because I've heard the, the word trust a lot. How do I trust this, and why do I hear these sensationalized stories, and I know that's what they are, about people either losing or having their money hacked? Obviously, they put it in an unsafe place, just like if I had some silver and I set it out on my front porch. You're exactly um, right. Is it is it that, did they make it that easy for people to take it, and how do I keep it safe if, um, if there is such a thing. So if you had a barrel full of dollar bills, what would you do to keep that safe? Would you bury it? Would you keep it on your front porch or would you protect it with uh, a password or so basically when you get cryptocurrency, you can leave it on. I don't recommend this, but if you plan on holding it for a long time, you could leave it on an exchange like Coinbase, which is the most trusted. But if your password gets hacked on Coinbase, Mm-hmm. Someone could transfer that out of your exchange uh, account to theirs and cash out immediately. Um, there's no FDIC insuring your money on bit or on cryptocurrency. There's no insurance fund for you. So basically, my recommendation is if you buy Bitcoin, buy yourself a hard wallet. A hard wallet is a piece of equipment that you can plug into your computer, and it's you you can only access your wallet with this thumb key and protect that thumb key with your with your life really like you can hold on to that thumb uh, drive uh, hard wallet anywhere in your house but then what you'll do is you'll get clay was mentioning earlier like a seed key which is a nine to ten word key for that hard wallet if you can get yourself a safety deposit box at a bank um, you can put that nine to ten word thing in there, and then that way, if you ever lose your hard wallet or it burns in a house fire, God forbid, you can go to the bank, get that nine word uh, key, and recover your Bitcoin. It's very, right. it's to think about it in that terms is very complex, but 
um, if you plan on trading a lot, keeping it on uh, trusted exchanges like Coinbase or Gemini or uh, anything like that, it's it's probably okay. But if that exchange gets hacked, which has happened in the past uh, with there's an exchange called Mt. Gox, they've uh, users that held their Bitcoin on there lost it completely because it, that exchange was hacked. So yes, it, you you can get your cur- currency hacked and but like we said earlier the trust falls on you and the network the network is solid it's been proven it's uh, been attacked there's no, never been hacked it's unhackable your you as a person needs to take the precautions on keeping your currency safe okay so i think what i'm going to do before our, our we we got to talk about this again cuz i think what i want to do is i want to go and try to buy some okay i want to play around mm-hmm. with this a little bit play around meaning i want to look at it like i would another investment so I, I feel like i've been talking to two guys that know enough to get me started just like i would if i was talking to a stockbroker or a somebody that specialized in hard assets like gold and silver which i have bought in uh, my father was a big believer in in silver and gold and he liked the coins themselves but he also had the some of the um, bullion and, and the bars but it's always good to get good advice but then i believe it's personally on you to go do research and make decisions on your own because rich dad says that poor people pay people to manage their money and they do them taxes they do their taxes themselves rich people pay people to do their taxes and they manage their own money now i'm not rich and i'm not poor but i like following rich dad's advice and i think on this one i'm going to do more research and i'm going to start buying some of this so it sounds like it's uh it sounds very interesting. It sounds like something that's going to be probably the way the future of money goes. And hey, it's always best to get in at least a decade in instead of a couple of decades later. That's so true. Give me a kind of kind that's of a right. closing closing thought for this, and then um, maybe a resource that our listeners can go to and find out more about this, and kind sure. of a one source place. Okay, uh, I'll jump in. Uh, if you want a resource to where you can kind of look at the blockchain and see that it is an actual operating uh, thing that's going on you can actually go to blockchain.com and there's an explorer at the top and you can watch as bitcoin operates you can watch as ethereum operates there's different blocks there's different transactions but yeah you can actually see this thing working and um, how long it's been working and pull up anything um, and to do some research on the the value side of things, there's a website I use called Coin Marketplace, and it's got not only Bitcoin but every other um, cryptocurrency out there that um, is legit. And you can actually, or not legit actually, and you can look at the price and um, the ups and downs of that. And um, yeah, if if you're doing some investing, I would try to stick with the top ten at first because they have they've been around for quite a bit. But uh, but yeah. Clay? Yeah, and um, you know I'm I'm more of a Bitcoin guy, so Caleb's into a lot of too many you know, d- different things. No, not too many. I think it's I think it's good, but I, I just like to keep it simple. And um, you know, I never you know rule of thumb for any kind of investing: never invest or play with money that you that you know you can't afford right. to lose. If it went down to zero tomorrow, which it could you know, barred some event, um, never play with that money. But, um, 
I look at it as, as my kids. And so, you know, I started, you know, playing, quote unquote, with Bitcoin, you know, when it was around in that seventeen, eighteen hundred dollar range. And I just I got a little scared at times and I got more confident and I would buy and sell. And that was just silly. And so I just started buying more and more and more as it kind of rose up for my two boys, for Anderson and for Edwin. So I haven't sold any in, in a long, long time, many years. I've just been buying and holding uh, for them because I'm a firm believer that when they go to college, you know, in 18 years or so, it may be worth a lot of money. It also may be worth zero, but I'm not going to put anything in there that I'm not willing to There you to go. Lose. That's the best advice I would say is only invest what you can afford to lose. Um, yeah. Okay, and obviously this show is not a license. We are not licensed financial planners. Bingo. And no, brokers. no, no. So this is all, you know, from from two guys that do it personally, and from my viewpoint, somebody that knows nothing about it. And and I really did. This is this is one of the things that when we started talking about doing a podcast is about why we should care, why I should care. This is one of the first things we thought about yeah. because ultimately, I was like, why would I care about this? Well, you guys have broken it down pretty good today. There's still a little bit of. Um, uncertainty in my mind but i think the best way for me to move forward is to go and actually make some transactions buy some stuff move some things around and when we come back again maybe we can talk about my experiences with the different rates and exchanges and and um, commodities and coins but uh, guys it's been a real great show today um this is why we do this because there's things out there that some of us know nothing about and honestly we don't know whether we should care about it or not and you know, it's been great for me today on another episode of Tell Me Why I Should Care.